good that you're here. Um, I've been hearing lots of great stories about things that have been going on in the church and there's just so many things that have been happening. This week on Facebook I got shown some, pho- some photos came up of a small group of young adults and you know what some of you are all doing? We're getting your faces all made up and pampered. So that was a young adults group. Awesome to see all the pampering taking place at small groups. Just one other reason to enjoy being part of a small group. Uh, I think there's been some guys, uh, you know, that want to do that in their men's groups as well. The pampering, no, not really, but that was great. Uh, Good to see the fun happening. Another thing I heard, um, there was someone who was moving house just in the last couple of weeks and their small group just gathered around and helped and people from the church helped make the move so easy. And it's just at times like that when being part of a group and just knowing how great the church care for each other that that happens. Um, and, and Marty Smith had a big uh, knee operation and is una- was unable to even move and, and being alone in the house was not a good thing. So somebody from the church just went and sat with him for three hours while he's on his own just in case he fell over and, uh, and couldn't help out. It's great, isn't it? Um, just the things that go on in the church just in a normal week of people helping each other and just being his church. So many great stories that uh, happen each day. If you're here tonight and you've got your news sheet, it's great to just have a bit of a check out, see what's going on, because there's so many things that are going on and you wouldn't want to miss anything really exciting. One of the big things that um, is happening is that this week, tonight, is your last really opportunity for the girls' getaway, so they need the numbers. And so tonight, uh, after the end of the service, you could go and go... Uh, get a form and register for the girls' getaway. FPOS facilities are here, but that's next weekend. So it's going to be a great time away, a great speaker, great great food, great time there. So don't miss that opportunity, especially, um, you know, it, it's a great way to get to know people. You see each other after church, but to imagine just talking for the whole weekend. So if you're a, a lady or girl and you'd like to get to know others, tonight is a great chance. The other thing, right here next Sunday night is a leaky. Now, did you know she's one of the uh, largest selling Christian artists in Australia? And she's going to be here next week on, our, on the stage singing and it'll be great uh, to see her. So don't miss that. And I hope you really enjoy that. That'll be good. Also, um, we have people that are wanting to be baptised and a great way if you've been coming just recently and you've been starting to know a little bit more, learning a little bit more about Jesus, but you'd like to actually sit down and and just go through what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be baptised and what it means to be a church member, then this Wednesday night here at the church, the Inquirer's Course, there's a group of us that will be meeting together and this is a great opportunity just for you to inquire. And you don't have to, by coming along, doesn't mean your whole life's signed away or anything like that. But for two weeks, Wednesday night, to check out about whether you might be wanting to take the next step in, um, in your Christian journey. Um, it, it's a great opportunity as well. So just remember that. The other thing that I um, wanted you all to know was in two weeks' time on the weekend, we've got uh, the Backyard Barder coming. And I think the Backyard Bard, I think a bard is like the town crier or the person that's the town storyteller and used to walk around you know, shouting out and declaring things. Well, there's a guy, Rob, who's from the Backyard Bard, and he's going to come in two weeks' time. On Friday night, he'll be speaking at Youth United, and uh, he's going to present the book of Luke. I mean, without notes 
and dramatically he'll speak the book of Ruth, uh, book of Luke. And then on Sunday morning, he's going to do the book of Ruth during the service. So it'll be uh, really dramatic and he'll be doing that as well. Then in between on the Saturday for two hours, we've got a workshop if you'd like to, you know, find out how he does this dramatic biblical storytelling. And uh, it's $12 for that and you can register tonight as well. Um, but if you'd like to do that, just a couple of hours on the Saturday would be great uh, to be part of. Um, other thing you're all probably excited about, wanting to hear, last week we had our missions offering and combined cash total and pledges came to this figure. No, no, no drum roll there. All right. $14,965. So that's just fantastic. And uh, it's great that you've been able to give. And uh, we're just uh, great. So why don't we just thank God for all that came in and say thank you for giving as well. I know the Kids Church gave too uh, for the Girvan kids so that their uh, schooling curriculum could be posted and brought back and everything. And Joan, how much did they receive again? 160 from little kids giving in our kids' church as well. So that's awesome. So, so great stuff. Just if you, wanna, if you weren't here last week, you can still get pledge forms and put them in, in, in an envelope, put them in the envelope as well. And the next is just fulfilling our pledges as well. So that's great. We had a church meeting Wednesday night, but we missed getting a quorum. I think, you know, whether the rugby was on or whether people clashed with small groups, uh, whatever happened, we missed out on a quorum just by a whisker. Now, just letting you know, people say, hey, all the small groups are on Wednesday night. Why don't we have the church meeting on another night? But the reason we have it on the Wednesday night is just so that four Wednesdays in a year, you would say our whole small group, we're going to the church meeting. Well, day, everybody. It's good to see you here tonight and um, good to come around together around God's Word and to see what He would say to us in this time. So tonight we're continuing on in this series of hungering for God. And we all know, don't we, that hunger is a powerful feeling. Who feels hungry at times? Who feels hungry right now? Okay. And um, I guess especially for guys, young guys particularly, fit, healthy sort of guys, we need a lot of food and very regularly. And if we don't get it, we get grumpy, don't we? Is there any guys here who know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yep, great, excellent. I know for me, if I don't get food regularly, like if I go, say, four or five hours without food, I'm, I'm no good at all at those 40-hour famines. I've made it, I think, 10 hours is my record for that. But I find for me, if I don't get food for about four or five hours, I get a headache, my blood sugar drops, my patience falls, my level of godliness falls, and I just can't concentrate and I get desperate. And um, it's like that with hunger, isn't it? Um, we usually stay hungry until we get what we want. Um, hunger is a strong feeling and it's something that's there to remind us of a need that we have. So tonight we're talking about hunger for God. Now hunger is like desperation, isn't it? It's saying not just that we kind of would prefer to have it or that we'd like to have it, but we are hungry, you know, really hungry. We are desperate for God. So in terms of our relationship with God, it's about meeting with God regularly. And we remember that being a Christian is not just about believing a whole set of ideas that make sense and that are true, but being a Christian is about having a relationship with God. And that's a relationship that you're passionate about. 
Now, when you're passionate about a relationship or passionate about a person, you just want to spend lots of time with that person. You want to see them as regularly as possible. You want to just be with them. You want to hear the sound of their voice. You want them to listen to you and you just want to be together with them. And that is how our relationship with God should be. So tonight, this whole topic of hunger and desperation for God as we look at Psalm 95. So if you haven't got that open, please turn it up now and um, we'll read through that together and see what God wants to say to us through it. So Psalm 95 from verse 1. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Does anyone remember that song? You know, it's based on that verse. When I became a Christian back in the early 90s, that song was around and we sung it, I think, every Sunday. But come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Verse 2, let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. His care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Very powerful psalm there and some very strong reminders for us there at the end of what we're not to do. But the psalms are great, aren't they? There's 150 psalms in all and there's a range of different types of those psalms. If we just have the next slide there. We'll see what some of them are. So four different types of psalms. Firstly, we see songs of praise. Um, a few examples of songs of praise are Psalm 95, also Psalm 100, Psalm 103. Um, one of my favourites is Psalm 103, where it says that God has redeemed our lives from the pit. And as far as the east is from the west, that is how far God has taken our sins away from us. And a lot of our worship, a lot of our songs that we have are based on these type of psalms, the songs of praise, the hymns of praise. Second type of psalm we have is songs of despair, like Psalm 88. They're those psalms where the, where the writer's just saying, God, my life is awful. These people are trying to kill me. Everything's a mess. Where are you? You're nowhere to be seen. And the person's just complaining about God or showing his despair or his sorrow, feeling abandoned is an emotion that often happens in there as well. Another one is songs of thanksgiving, like Psalm 116. Now, songs of thanksgiving are kind of similar to songs of praise, but they're a dip, bit different in the sense that songs of thanksgiving really focus upon specific things that God has done for us, rather than focusing so much on God's character. And then the fourth type of psalm we have, there's a lot of kind of subtypes as well, but broadly speaking, four types of psalms, and the fourth one is laments, where people bring their complaints, like Psalm 22 is a great example there. And with all the Psalms, whether it's praising God or, or lamenting or whatever it might be, um, they can kind of be just on behalf of the individual, the, the person writing about how he's feeling, or might be writing kind of on behalf of the nation 
or of a group of people saying how they're going. Either way, the Psalms teach us a lot about prayer and a lot about our relationship with God and also about what God is like. The Psalms show us how to relate to God and they show us that we can be and that we should be very honest with God. Now think about why honesty with God is really important. Now you know, don't you, that if you try to keep something from God or lie to God, you're not going to get away with it. Like he knows it already. He knows how you're feeling. He knows your thoughts. He knows every word you say, even before you say it. So there's no point keeping anything from him. We need to come to him very openly. And the Psalms in that way encourage us to make sure that when we come to God, that we do it very wholeheartedly. And as we know, that prayer and praise, the worship, really is the essence of our relationship with God. So the Psalms really help us to grow in our relationship with God as well as in our knowledge along the way. So this Psalm that we have, Psalm 95, it's a song of praise. And of the 150 Psalms, roughly 25 or so of the Psalms are songs of praise. Just grab the next slide there. Thanks a lot. Okay, now you see in this psalm, it's a very well-organised psalm. It's not, now here, like, you know how some personality types love structure and some like things just being really random? Who loves things to be really, really random? Put your hand up. Great, and who loves structure? Okay, the people who love structure are going to love tonight's psalm. It's a very well-organised psalm. We have three parts of it and it kind of follows the general way in which most psalms go. People who love random thoughts, um, just tell yourself it's really random and just love it anyway because it's God's word. So in most psalms, of, most psalms of praise, there's three parts. Firstly, a call to people to give praise and thanks to God. Secondly, the reason why people should praise God, and that's usually because of his character or something he's done at some point in history. And thirdly, there's a conclusion or an application, such as saying give praise or give thanks. It might tell us what to do, or it might tell us what not to do. And especially we've seen tonight's psalm, it tells us what not to do at the end there. In Psalm 95, you see this come out really well. Verses 1 and 2 is a call to worship. Verses 3 through 7 are the reasons why we should worship God. And um, in verses 8 to 11, we see the conclusion and the real practical application of that stuff there. Now, it's important that you keep that, that slide in mind, the things that are said on that one, so that you know as we go through the psalm where we're up to and what the purpose of those verses are. And as you can do that, it kind of gives you a bit of an anchor, really helps you to understand where it's going and why those words are on there. So this psalm was used by, originally by the pilgrim worshippers as they approached the temple for a festival. It was what they called an entrance liturgy. Now, liturgy is one of those things that we don't do too much of in Baptist churches, but in some other denominations, they do quite a lot of. And it was that kind of very ordered things that people would say or sing, maybe as they would be in church or as they would come into church. This is one of those things they would sing as they approach the temple and as they come to worship. It would be a little bit like for us if we said that every time as you walk in through the doors, you need to sing or say a particular thing. Or maybe like as you jump out of your car, you need to start saying, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let's shout aloud for the God of our salvation. So that type of thing, that's what the guys were doing. They were not ashamed of their faith at all. Whereas I think sometimes we're a bit too cool to do that sort of stuff, aren't we? Well, these guys, they had no shame at all. They just loved God wholeheartedly in a huge way. So the people here, they would use it as they progressed from outside of the temple, um, through to the courts of the Gentiles, 
up to the entrance of the priestly court and ultimately to the Holy of Holies. And this psalm was used by the people to enter into the presence of God, not just physically, like they were walking in physically together, but psychologically they were entering into the presence of God. And that's what we really need to do as we come to church. We kind of always end up showing up here, physically having our bodies in church, but sometimes our hearts and our minds really aren't ready to worship God. Has that ever happened for you? I know it happens for me sometimes. I come to church and I'm just not, I'm not with it and I'm not kind of really, I guess, feeling that sense of worship. But this is one of those things that the people would use as they were coming to worship to really prepare themselves, their hearts and their minds to be psychologically ready to be in the presence of God. As they sung, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. So it's moving your heart and your mind. And I think for us, it just reminds us that each one of us need to do something that works for us in order to get ourselves ready to worship God. Now, some people love to sing, love to worship you know, but in song. Some people love to meditate or to pray and just kind of reflect and think. And other people just love to read scripture or maybe read some theology. And as they do that, that inspires them to um, worship God. Now, I wonder if you can think for a moment of those three things, what would be the thing that really brings you into the presence of God and gets you ready to worship God? Is it singing? Is it singing and worship at the start of, of church? Or is it maybe that meditative sort of reflective prayer? Or is it doing some reading, reading scripture or reading some theology? Whichever one it is for you, it may be a mixture of one or two, but whichever one it is for you, I'd really urge you to do that each week either as the service starts or maybe just on the way to church or even just before you leave home to come to church. might be worth reading some stuff, getting inspired and fired up, ready to hit the, hit the ground running as we start worshipping God together as a bunch of people here. Right, I might just grab the next slide there, going on to verses 1 and 2. So I've just got the um, bit of snow there in this slide, just to, um, yeah, that's what the rain and the cold's all about. It's all there so we can have a bit of snow to go skiing on next Saturday. Can't wait. All right. So verses one and two, I've got the words. What I was going to say is the words are there to help us reflect on the words as we, um, as we go through this one. So the first two verses is all about saying, let's sing for joy and shout loudly to God. Now, chances are for these people back in, back in the times of, you know, in the Old Testament times, their songs of praise were not such melodic sort of, you know, pleasant tunes that sounded really awesome but they were loud shouts of joy, more like a football crowd than a church choir. They would just yell out, praise God. God is awesome. God is great. People would yell out all different things at all different times, but they would, they would yell out their praises to God. And it reminds me of sometimes when I've been involved in kids' ministry. It's great when you say to the kids, hey, everybody, just yell out, praise God. And they'll go, yeah, praise God. And they all do it in their own voice and in their own time and some of the boys especially yell it as loud as they possibly can. But um, sometimes, especially in kids' ministry, you see that, just that unbridled enthusiasm and people just shouting out praises to God. You know, sometimes I think as we worship, and it's, it's really important to sound good and get, you know, try to sing on key and get the notes right and all that sort of stuff. But um, I think even if you can't, just sing anyway and worship God. Because sometimes we get so busy trying to sound right that we forget about who we're actually worshipping at the time. 
The, um, the message paraphrase of Psalm 95 puts these first couple of verses a bit more forcefully. It says, Let's shout praises for God. Let's raise the roof for the rock who saved us. March into his presence with singing because God is the best, the creator. So that's a challenge for all of us to lift our eyes and to lift our thoughts, not so much off of our own circumstances, but I think from our own circumstances, from wherever we're at, whatever's going on in our life, whether it's good or bad, whether things are going according to plan or not, wherever we're at, we need to start in that place and from there we need to focus upon God and worship him. Remember who he is and remember his work in our life. We might not have been feeling like God's been working a lot in our lives in the last few days, but we know that God has been at work powerfully in our lives so much more whenever we allow him to do that. It reminds me sometimes the way, you know, it's really important to get our thoughts off of ourselves and onto God. And that's what some of this worship stuff is about. You know, some people, and I think it's kind of human nature at times, um, some people are really self-absorbed. Like life in the world is all about me. It's about what I think. It's about how I'm feeling today. I'm the centre of the universe and no one else matters too much. Some of us think that at times. And that's kind of human nature. But I think God wants us, or I know that God wants us to worship him and to lift our minds from who we are and how we're feeling to who he is and how he's feeling about us. And as we start to see the world through his eyes, then things all change. God changes us, he touches our lives and transforms us and that allows us to focus more upon him and upon the people around us as opposed to focusing upon ourselves. Hungering for God is about stopping being self-centred. It's about, yeah, really shifting our focus away from ourselves towards God, looking to him, seeing things through his eyes and loving the people around us and being more concerned about how other people are feeling than we are about how, how concerned we are about our own selves. Hungering for God, it's all about reaching out for him, seeking him and asking him to fill us renew us and restore us. And we remember, as, as we're told in James chapter 1, that every good gift comes from God. And also in Isaiah chapter 40, that God gives strength to the weary. So God is the one who gives us what we need. We don't kind of generate it from within ourselves, but as we look to God, he gives us what we need to look to him more and more. And he satisfies our souls. So when we want to grow in our relationship with God, let's look to him, lift our eyes to heaven and allow him to really change us because he's the rock, he is our rock and he is our salvation. So these first couple of verses they talk about, they're saying we are called to worship God in a big way. The writer's saying, come, let's go and sing for joy, let's shout to the Lord and um, let's come before him with thanksgiving and um, music and song. So he says, let's do that. And then in verse 3, he goes on to flesh out the reasons why we should worship God. And as we read there in verses 3 through 7, um, we see some pretty big statements. First, we see that God is the Lord and the King over everything and everyone. Can we just have the next slide there, verses 3 through 7? Um, God is the Lord and King. Oh, yep, we said another one there, but verses 3 to 7. All right, God is the... Oh, let's go back to that one. Because that's an important part of, the, a part of the sermon there. You need to get the complete picture of God, don't you? Because if you just end up getting half the picture, you really do get ripped off. 
All right, you don't want to buy a car like that. All right, so verses 3 to 7 tells us all about God. God is the, our Lord is the great God. He's the king over everything and everyone. He owns the mountains. He owns the valleys, the ocean and the land, everything. He made everything. Not just that, he made us as well. He's not just big, the big God out there, but he's the powerful God in here within us. And we are his people and he is personally looking after us. You know, it's really easy to say those things and to kind of nod in agreement and go, yeah, yeah, God's the God of everything. Yeah, that's right, of course it is. But I think it's really hard to comprehend what it really means. And I think that's why with those statements there, it's important that you don't just read over them and agree with them and kind of tick them off. But you've actually got to go back over it. And it would be a great idea, if you can this week in your quiet times, to go over this psalm, especially verses 3 to 7, the reasons why we worship God. Read over it. Reflect upon it. Pray about it. And ask God to lead you. And worship in whatever way suits you as a response to what is said in those verses. If you can spend, for verses 3 through 7, don't just spend 30 seconds or 60 seconds reading it, but try to spend 15 or 20 minutes every day this week. And as you do that, you'll just see more and more each day and you'll be moved more and more about the power of these words and the power of who God is. So that's a good thing for you to do if you possibly can this week. Now think for a minute, how would life be? I think sometimes the way to appreciate who God is and how powerful he is is to think for a minute what it would be like if God did not exist. That can help us to appreciate things. So what would life be like if God didn't exist? What would your purpose in life be? How would your relationships be any different? How would your priorities be different? How might your thoughts or your morals be different if God didn't exist? And how would your schedule be different? And how would your life be different if God didn't exist? You know, I think it would be very different. Actually, you wouldn't need to worry too much about how it would be because you wouldn't exist either if God didn't exist. Remember that God created us, he put us here. The great God, but we would be nothing, literally. We never would have existed, we never would have breathed, we never would have thought a single thing without God. Isn't that incredible? God made every piece of us and without him, we would be nothing whatsoever. In Psalm 139, we read, the, the, the writer there says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you, God, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So God made us and he knows us. And the psalmist says, God, you know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. So if God didn't exist, we would not exist at all either. But on top of that, if God didn't exist, nothing in this world would exist either because he sprung it into being out of nothing. He created out of nothing. So everything we are, everything we see, everything we touch, everything that exists anywhere in this universe is here because of God's grace and his creative power and his love for us. In Revelation chapter 4, the people cry out there, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And as they worship God, they say, 
You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created my inmost being. So for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. God has created everything. He deserves the praise for everything as well. You know, I think there are so many things in life that we take for granted. Would you agree? We sure do. There's so many. I think pretty much just about everything we have we take for granted. I know that a mother or a father, (coughs) they hate it when they do heaps and heaps of things for people over years upon years and then they are taken for granted. In the same way, God doesn't appreciate it when we take him for granted. And that is why we need to take the time to appreciate him for all that he's done. Appreciating God takes a, stops us from taking him for granted. And appreciating God is all about increasing his value in our hearts and minds. You know how depreciating, like if, you, if the Australian dollar is depreciating, that means its value is going down. If it's appreciating, its value is going up. So as we say here, appreciating God, appreciating God is all about his value in our life and in our heart is going up. That's what reflection upon his character and his good gifts to us does for us. As we appreciate him for all he is and all that he's done for us. I wonder if you've ever sat down and made a list of everything that God has done for you. If you did that, you'll never complete the list. But you could definitely fill up a page worth of great things that God has done for you. But as you do that, you know that he will bless you in the future as well. You could even... Take another page and start writing out the good ways in which God is going to bless you in the future. So make time, make it a priority to spend time with God. Not just to speak to God when you need something. The old, dear God, please help me with this. Please help me to get this essay done in time. Please help me to cope with the stress in my life today and to get through even though I'm feeling tired. Sometimes that's the only time we pray. But we need to pray at all times when we just want to draw near to God and be in his presence, to be with him, not just when we want something. You know, I think some people treat God like he's a rich and distant relative. You know, if you're lucky enough to have a rich and distant relative, might live a long way away, but they might send you money every now and again, especially when they hear of your needs. So you kind of just keep in touch with, I haven't got this, so I'm just talking, you know, I, I can only imagine what it's like to have a rich and distant relative. But, you know, you only just, you speak to them when you need something. You let them know, then they send you money straight away. Um, keep in touch with them for the sake of getting presents out of them. But you probably only keep in touch with them as much as you need to. Some people treat God a bit like that, that he's a rich and distant relative. And they just keep in touch when they need something and go to him when they, when they want to ask for something. But hungering for God, which is what this series is all about, is about drawing near to God Coming near to God, not because we want something, but because we just want to be with him. And we know that as we be with him, we worship him, we encounter him, we be in his presence, we are just going to have so many gifts, so much blessing given to us. But if we just focus on being with him, then we'll get what we need and what we want from there. In verse 6 of our passage, we read, Come, let us bow down in worship. So bowing down, that's a real act of humility and an act of submission. And let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Kneeling is a good way of hungering for God. It's kind of an uncomfortable thing to do physically, like to kneel on the ground or to bow down, but we do it because we respect the person we're doing it to. 
It reminds us of our frailness and of the person's power. But kneeling is a way of hungering for God, coming before him. And remembering, as we read in the verse there, <coughs> that he is our Lord and we are his sheep. Now think for a minute about that relationship between um, the shepherd and the sheep. It's a powerful sort of relationship. It's not an equal sort of relationship. It's not a relationship where the sheep and the shepherd go walking along and say, hey, what do you think we should do? Where do you think we should go? Let's talk about it and let's go there together. It's not like that at all. But it's a relationship where one person, the shepherd, is leading and he's saying to a whole bunch of sheep, come this way. I know where there's some good stuff. I know what you should not do and I know what you should do. So please, for your own sake, come with me. You'll be well fed and life will be a lot smoother. So there's one leading and there's one following. One is taking care of things, looking after things. That person knows what's going on. The shepherd knows his stuff. He knows the land. He knows the sheep. He knows the weather. He knows what they need. The sheep just need to trust and follow. Now it's like that with us for God too. Remember that he is the shepherd. He's our Lord and we are the sheep. We need to follow him and trust him in every way. That's why we need to be regularly in the word of God so that each day we can be reading stuff and asking God to show us how to live our lives, asking him to guide us, rebuke us where necessarily, necessary and show us the way. And I think this whole thing of familiarity with God, taking God for granted, is really important to get, us, get our heads around in this series on hungering for God because familiarity with God I reckon it's one of the biggest enemies of hungering for God. When we're familiar with God and his ways and everything he's done for us, we kind of say, yeah, we know what this is all about. We know God. We've heard that lesson before. We've heard a sermon on that passage before. We've done a Bible study on that before. We know everything there is we need to know. It's kind of a sense of being familiar, being satisfied with what we have. But we need to not have that. We need to hunger for God. We know God, we've heard sermons before, we've read the Bible before, we know a lot of what it says, but we need to hunger for him, be in his presence and read his word regularly. That's what it's all about because we know that God is an absolutely great God. He keeps on being great towards us. That might be part of why we don't appreciate him as much as we should because we know that even if we are not good towards God, even if we don't spend time with God, He's still going to be there for us when we need him. So maybe we do take him for granted a little bit. You know, I think the way familiarity works is that we have something and when we have that one thing for a long time, we start to forget how powerful that thing is. I wonder if you can think of something where you've been familiar with it and when you've started to take it for granted over time. And maybe a family member that you've taken for granted. You see it drastically with your kids when you give them new toys and stuff. They think it's the most important thing in the world. You give it to them, they play with it until they go to bed that night. The next day they play with it a little bit and after that they just don't play with it again for six months. It's like they have this thing and then they have a bit of fun with it and then they just leave it aside and virtually forget they have that toy. And then you go to the shops the next week and they're asking to buy that same thing again. You're like, I bought that for you already. Just go home and play with it there. Um, and maybe even um, for us when we have good health, if we have a period of good health for months or years, um, we might start to take that for granted and um, not appreciate how good it is to have that. 
Now, it's the same with us and God. We have this awesome, incredible relationship with God, but sometimes we just get used to being loved by God. It's a very comfortable place to be, and we kind of get accustomed to, to God looking upon us with eyes of favour, especially if we've known Christ for a long time. It's true that familiarity can breed contempt. And familiarity with God, as I've said before, is, I reckon, one of the greatest enemies of true and passionate worship for God and one of the biggest enemies of hungering for God. Spiritual growth is one of those things where momentum is really important. As you start to grow, um, you just start bit by bit and as you start to grow, that growth becomes even stronger and you have a greater and greater passion for growing stronger. It's a bit like a snowball rolling down a hill in the cartoons and all that. It picks up speed the further it goes and it gets bigger and bigger all the way. But in the same way, if you're slipping away from God, your passion for him can kind of very easily slip as well and just start to kind of not happen so much. Then it becomes easier and easier to ignore him and to leave him out of our lives. So the encouragement from that, knowing that momentum is so important and the direction you're heading in, whether you're growing or whether you're slipping away, the encouragement is that wherever you're at, just get it going in the right direction. You may be feeling far from God now, but just start to grow bit by bit, day by day. And as you start to grow, you get more and more passion for growing and spending time with God. One thing builds upon another and that whole cycle gets going. So get it going the right way. As you draw close to God, he will be found by you. And as we read in James chapter 4, says, come near to God and he will come near to you. God wants to have a really close relationship with us, so let's come to him. Let's come, let's sing for joy to the Lord. As we read in verse 6, come, let's bow down in worship and let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Realise the things he's already done for us and look forward to those things that are ahead. So verses 3 to 7 that's the real positive side of the story. That's, that's what we should do and why we should worship God. Now, as we move on to verse 8 and verses 8 through 11, we are warned and we're told what not to do. If we just flick the slide over to verse 8. That's great, thanks. All right, there's some real pertinent warnings here about what we're not to do. And when we hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. You know, a hard heart is a really ugly sort of a thing. A hard heart is kind of like a piece of concrete inside of you. If you can think of a piece of concrete, the water bounces off of it, nothing gets in, nothing gets in, nothing makes an impression and nothing really comes out of it either. A hard heart does not listen, a hard heart does not change and a hard heart lives in ignorance of the world around it. A hard heart is an ugly thing that's unpleasant to live with and a hard heart misses out on a lot of the best things in life. A soft heart is very different. It says, do not harden your hearts. Instead, have a soft heart. A soft heart listens to God and listens to people. A soft heart receives blessings from other people and it also gives out a lot of blessings to others. A soft heart is like that nice tender soil that soaks up the rain. The rain falls upon it and it just seeps in there nicely and then plants flourish in that environment. That's what a soft heart is like. And a soft heart is full of life and is a blessing not just to the person who owns that heart, but to the people around it as well. 
So the question for you, just to cut straight to the chase on this stuff from verses 8 to 11, is how's your heart going? Have you got a hard heart or have you got a soft heart? Which one is it? And where are you on that spectrum of things right now? You can't kind of just be in the middle. Either you have a hard heart or you have a soft heart. If you can have a bit of insight into where you're at at the moment, that can really help you to go in the direction you should and the direction you want to go in. The good news with all this is that if you have a hard heart and you want to have a soft heart, you can change. You can't do that by your own strength. You can't just kind of pull out your hard heart and whack a soft heart in there. But as you come to God and say, God, my heart is hard. I've not been seeking you. I've not been loving the people around me. God, my heart is hard. Can you please change my heart and soften my heart? You can pray that prayer and know that God loves those sort of prayers. He loves to answer those sort of prayers. So if your heart is hard, or your heart is, heart is harder than you'd want it to be, pray and ask God to change you. You can't change by your own strength or your own ability, but with God's help, God comes in and he does the change that he wants to see and that change that you too want to see. You can become more thankful to God and to others. You can become a person who listens to others and cares for other people so much more. And if you do, then your life will be so much more fruitful in the future. So as we see these verses 8 to 11 here, do not harden your hearts. Make sure that in the future, your hearts do not become harder than what they are now. And on top of that, wherever your heart's at now, make sure you allow your heart, ask God, plead with God to soften your heart so that you can soak in his blessings and live in unity, community with him and with the people around you. Now in the last four verses of tonight's psalm, we read about what happens when people have a hard heart toward God. And it's not pretty, is it? It's not at all good. Having a hard heart is like just not hungering for God. So if you haven't been hungering for God as much as you'd like to be, that's a sign of having a hard heart. You need to pray. You need to fall before God. A hard heart says that it already has everything it needs. There's no need to receive from God. There's no need to really worship God or draw near to him. As we see in our passage there in verse 10, a hard heart makes God angry. He's not impressed at all and he gets actively annoyed about that. God doesn't get annoyed because he's missing out on something, but he's annoyed because when our hearts are hard, we, his people, miss out on something. We miss out on drawing near to him and enjoying his blessings as much as we should. When our heart is hard, we don't hunger for God. We miss out on all sorts of things, but when our hearts are hard, we miss out on the fullness of his blessings, the freshness of his blessings. It's a really important concept that those blessings be coming in a fresh way and feeling fresh to us. We also miss out on living life to the full and being empowered by him in our each day. When our hearts are hard, we miss out on being guided by God and we miss out on serving him with all our heart. So there's a lot of good reasons there why we need to have soft hearts. So desire a soft heart and ask God to give you a soft heart. Now just as we finish off tonight, there's a few quick, really practical ways to develop a soft heart that hungers for God. <coughs> First way is to reflect upon God's general blessings. 
That is, think about all the good things that God has done throughout all history for everything in the world, for everybody in the world. Think about those things, reflect upon that, and that will give you a soft heart that desires God. Secondly, reflect upon God's specific blessings in life. Not just does God love everybody and bless everybody, but he loves you so much and he has blessed you so much throughout your life. So reflect upon that. Don't just kind of go, oh yeah, that's cool that God did that. But take some time to really think at length upon that and how good it is that God has done that for you. Thirdly, reflect upon the way that God has blessed other people around you. It's a great praise point, isn't it? When you can see the way God has worked in someone's life, just a friend of yours here at church or something, you can say, praise God, because he came through for that person and he's really helped that person. That's a good reason to praise God and a good thing that will really soften our hearts. Fourth one is we need to make sure that we seek his guidance and his direction for our every day. It's just so important that we don't just kind of live our lives on autopilot, but that each day, at the start of the day or during the day or the end of the day or wherever, we seek his guidance and his direction for our lives. And a thing I've mentioned quite a bit throughout this message tonight is the idea of reflecting. Not just reading or skipping over something, but deeply reflecting, kind of meditating upon things. So when you read scriptures, especially one of these Psalms where it's telling about how good God is in verses 3 through 7, don't just read it and go, oh yeah, I understand that, but take time to really reflect upon it in a big way. And the last one in developing a soft heart that hungers for God, have a high sense of expectation because you know that you've got this relationship with God, that relationship with God kind of changes over time, but you want that relationship to be really close and empowering, powerful sort of thing where you're meeting intimately and closely with God. So have a sense of expectation because God wants to meet closely with you. And when you seek to draw near to God, God draws near to you and it's just awesome. So have a sense of expectation about what he wants to do in your life in the future because you know how good he has been to you in the past. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we just want to thank you that you are such a great God. You've done awesome things for this world, for everybody, but particularly for, for me, for us, for each one of us. You have blessed us and you continue to do that. And thank you that being a Christian is not just about believing some things, but it's about being in a relationship with you. Thank you that a relationship can be close. And Lord, we pray for each other right now that over these coming weeks and months that you would help each one of us to draw nearer to you, to experience you just really closely. Lord, be really evident in our lives. Draw us near to you and we know that you will draw near to us. We thank you for your goodness and especially all the stuff we've talked about tonight, these reasons why you are so great. Help us to reflect upon that, to go deeper and to really just be amazed more and more by how much you've done for us and to live with a sense of expectation for all you want to do in these coming years in our lives. We thank you for your goodness, Lord, and we thank you that we can come together in this place as your people to worship you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.